Renaissance in Northern Europe. During the 15th century, the artworks being produced in Northern Europe were smaller in scale than those of the contemporaneous artists to the south. However, the work of the Northern artists displayed a degree of realistic detail beyond what can be seen in the works of the south, primarily due to their use of new oil paints. While the Renaissance was occurring in Italy, much of the European art north of the Alps was still Gothic in style. The influence of classical antiquity was also much less of a factor in the north, as the northerners did not share Italy's cultural connection with ancient Rome, nor did they have the advantage of being in close proximity to the ancient Roman works, as did their Italian counterparts. So what are some ways that the northern European paintings are different than those in southern Europe? They used oil paints. Mm -hmm. What else? They're still Gothic. Mm -hmm. And the influence of classical antiquity is also much less of a factor. Okay, there's two more things that were earlier in the paragraph that were differences as well. Realistic detail? Yep. And smaller in scale? Yes. So you had a handful of different um, options there. We're talking about like uh, the Renaissance in Southern Europe. Yes. Well, I'm on the bottom of page 20. Renaissance in Northern Europe. Yeah. Nope. For these first introductory parts, what we don't get to in class, you kind of have to do on your own because it's a smaller part of what will be tested on later. When we get to the actual works, then we'll go through page by page, we won't skip stuff. Okay. The art of Northern Europe in the 16th century demonstrates a far greater awareness of the Italian Renaissance than that of the 15th century. Many artists traveled to Italy to study the great works of the Renaissance, and some Italian artists brought these ideas with them when they traveled to the north. Engravers copied some of the more notable Italian works, and these engravings became available throughout Europe. Thus, spreading the ideas and styles of the Renaissance, trade connections between the upper-class German merchants and merchants in Venice, a center of trade and art, provided another avenue of influence. So what are some ways the artistic innovations of Southern Europe artists were spread to the north in the 16th century? Many artists traveled to Italy to study the great works of the Renaissance. Some. They brought those ideas with them when they traveled back to the north. Yep. And what's a style of art that we now see? That they brought. Yep. So now we see some engravings. And then trade also played a part in the sharing of art. Is that also a question? Because trade, trade helps the art spread. Though the influence of the Italian masters was notable, not all northern artists embraced the ideals and innovative techniques of the Renaissance, as many maintained a more traditional approach. Moreover, though linear perspective and colors used further south did travel northward, the manner in which they were used in the northern countries was quite different. During the 15th century and into the early decades of the 16th century, the areas of southern Germany witnessed a flowering of artistic production 
Matthias Grunewald and Albrecht Dürer are often considered the greatest artists of the Renaissance in Northern Europe. Although only 10 of Grunewald's works have survived, his influence has nonetheless been notable. Grunewald is known for his religious scenes and depiction of Christ's crucifixion. The Eisenheim altarpiece is a work consisting of nine panels mounted on two sets of folded wings and is considered to be his greatest masterpiece. So that's what the Eisenheim altarpiece looks like. And it's in a church. And so it has the wings off to the side. And so it has the different parts on the crucifixion and then when they took him down, they're taking him to the tomb. I'm surprised I don't have this picture, like that one in the Oh, in the book. On this page and this page. Yes, it's four. Yeah. Huh, it was. So much for me looking at pictures. But now you can see the color. Yeah, so that's the altarpiece. What is Matthias Grunewald best known for? Albrecht Dürer is best, perhaps the most famous artist of the Reformation of Germany. Dürer's early training was largely influenced by the late Gothic works, but as ideas of Italian Renaissance spread northward in the 16th century, Dürer's work began to reflect some of these new influences. Dürer admired, or sorry, aimed to achieve a style that combined the naturalistic detail favored by artists of the north with the theoretical ideas developed by Italian artists. He traveled to Italy, studied the work of his Italian contemporaries, and brought his new knowledge back to Germany. Dura wrote about theories of art and published many series of woodcuts and copper engravings, such as The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So he was pretty much one of those people that influenced the North. Yeah. Because he's taking connections from the North and the South to help influence the North. So that's what the Horseman of the Apocalypse looks like. What is Albrecht Dura's objective as an artist? So what did he hope to do? He a mix of the idealistic and the naturalistic. Mm -hmm. Combine the naturalistic with the theoretical. Yeah. And what is one Dura work that is well known? Uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Got it. Yep. Hans Holbein, the younger, is another important artist of the era, and he is considered one of the greatest Renaissance portraitists. Though born in Germany, Holbein is best known for his work in England. He became court painter to King Henry VIII of England, and his portrait of Henry VIII shows not only his talent for presenting details, but also his ability to capture the psychological character of his subjects. Holbein's works became the model and standard for English painting up through the 19th century. So that's what the portrait of Henry VIII looks like, since he was a portraitist. He looks a lot bigger than his legs make him look. Yep. Do you remember what Henry VIII was known for? Have you heard of him? Really? He's the one that killed all his wives. Like so, cut off their heads. 
he's known for his um, portrait of his portrait of Henry VIII. So Hans Holbein is known for Holbein. his portrait of Henry VIII. Yep. Questions about the Renaissance? So we're seeing that spread of art from North and South Europe. We're seeing it start to cross over a little bit. Why did he kill his wives? Because he wanted an heir, and they weren't having male babies. They were not having babies or having females. And Sounds like a suitable enough reason to... He may have had some disease that caused some mental instability as well. I'm not he sure. He also could have had some sort of a disease that made it so he can't go That's possible, too. Captured the psychological character. Yep. Baroque. The term Baroque is generally used to refer to artworks produced from the late 16th century through the mid-18th century. Baroque styles differ from those of the Renaissance in that Baroque artwork tend to be less static than Renaissance examples. The Baroque is characterized by a greater sense of movement and energy. The political structure of Europe during the Baroque era also differed from that of the Renaissance. Whereas the Renaissance witnessed wars between cities, the Baroque era saw conflicts between empires. During this time, the church was determined to preserve its dominance in Spain and Italy, and orders like the Jesuits were founded to convert the peoples of other areas. Broke art appealed largely to the emotions, and thus these artists influenced by the Counter-Reformation aimed at dramatic and moving appeals to faith. So this is a very static picture from the Renaissance, no movement. So now Broke is a little more action-packed. And what is the time period for our Baroque paintings? Six, late 16th century through mid 18th century. Yep. And I just told you the characteristics, so more movement, more energy. What religious movement influenced the Baroque art? The Jesuits. The Jesuits. There's something that was a little more influ influential. So with Henry VIII in the Renaissance, they're kind of making the Church of England, Christian, uh, well, still Christianity. Oh. Catholicism is kind of on a decline, and other religions are coming up. It's so a, the Catholics want to, like, fight back. It's a counter-reformation, yes, right? Yes, yeah. a counter-reformation. Because we're seeing other branches of Christianity arrive, and the Catholics don't like that. So they're trying to, like, get their people back to their church. Makes me think of last year in my world history where we talked about the witch trials and how they were all like the single religion. The 17th and 18th centuries in Europe were a time when society was governed by a ruling class that viewed its power as a divine right. Some of the most powerful sovereigns ever to rule are from this period. Empress Maria Theresa of Austria, Peter the Great, and Catherine the Great of Russia, and King Louis XIV of France dominated the lives of people of their countries. It was a time that saw the ongoing concentration of power and wealth into the hands of the few, until the results eventually became intolerable for the majority of people. While a small minority of the population lived in luxury, 
the lives of ordinary people were generally quite difficult, and eventually the disparity gave rise to protests, like those found in writings of the Enlightenment authors, Jean-Jacques Rousseau in particular. Ironically, however, it was the patronage of the wealthy ruling class that gave rise to the great works of art of the period. So earlier we talked, I think maybe yesterday, artists were kind of looked down on. They were a lower class of people. Now we're seeing the rich having their own artists and they're paying that person to make their art for them. So now the art field is a little more elevated. It's a little more glamorous because now you can be hired by a certain family and just be their personal artist. So how they're treating artists is kind of starting to change throughout our time periods as well. Um, Wouldn't it be nice to just be a private person? Like, sure, I'll paint you a cat today. You just get to nice. paint someone as a job. Yeah. yeah. It's probably kind of cushy. Yeah. As we might expect, the art of the Baroque period moved away from the classic simplicity and calm that was so characterized of Renaissance works. The word Baroque has come to represent the richness of color and ornamentation that heightened the energy and emotion that were characteristic of the great works of art of the period. The emphasis was on dynamic works that presented imagery in the most dramatic way possible. Baroque painters made use of the chiaroscuro, using exaggerated contrast between light and dark to create a theatrical kind of lighting that made subject appear in a spotlight. Caravaggio, Caravaggio became an Italian Baroque painter was renowned for his dramatic use of light and dark and his technique influenced many artists who followed. Caravaggio's work is so important that artworks use extremes of dark and light are often termed Caravaggiesque. Caravaggio's work is also notable for its provocation ugh, provocative degree of naturalism. For example, Caravaggio portrayed the Virgin Mary and the Apostles not as notable figures in classical garb as they had traditionally been represented, but instead depicted them as poor and simple folks in threadbare garments. He used the actual lower class individuals as models for his work and helped him achieve the effect. It is no wonder that several patrons of Caravaggio's canvases rejected them for this reason. So there's another example. As you can see in the picture they have in the book, it's kind of hard with it, black and white, but it looks like a spotlight is on that little group in the center. Yeah. Here it looks like there's a light just lighting up the man in his desk, but there's a lot of darkness around. So that's the Caravaggio effect, where it's that big contrast of the dark and light. And why is his work provocative or noteworthy for its provocative degree of naturalism. Who did he use as his subjects? The, the lower class of people. Yeah. So that he can give a better effect of, of the apostles and the Virgin Mary were like. Because yeah. usually we made them shiny and pretty in the paintings and he's making them a little more realistic and relatable. So, wait, where are we? He made the Virgin Mary and Apostles not notable figures, but represented them as poor and simple folk.
Because Mary wouldn't have been rich. She would have been a, a simple folk. With the recent revisions of art history, a woman named Artemisia Gentileschi has also joined the ranks of important Baroque artists. Gentileschi, the daughter of a painter, had the unusual opportunity to study in her father's studio. She's particularly known for her remarkable adaptation of Caravaggio's techniques. Her works include self-portraits and paintings of Old Testament women. So what is Artemisia known for? Particularly uh, for her remarkable adaptation of Caravaggio's Techniques. So using his techniques and what kind of paintings then did she paint? Self-portraits and uh, oil paintings. Why not just paintings of Old Testament? Testament. So using his techniques, more Bible, Bible paintings. The most important Baroque artist, Gian Lorenzo Bernini, the son of a sculptor, was a child prodigy who received recognition from the Pope at age 17. Bernini did most of his significant work in sculpture, but he was also a talented architect, painter, and draftsman. He worked as a designer in the theater, and many of his works reflect the influence of his theatrical background. His most important masterpiece, The Ecstasy of St. Teresa, is set to the altar of the Coronaro Chapel. The space included is concealed stained glass window that bathes the figure in a saint in dramatic gold lighting, as if she were on a stage. Bernini treated this medium in a new way as well. He did not adhere to the classical calm and natural flow of drapery around the figure that had been used in the past. Instead, Bernini pushed the use of marble to new limits and tried to make stone look like real fabric or even clouds. So who's the most important Baroque artist? Uh, Bernini. Bernini? What was his masterpiece? Ecstasy and St. Teresa. Yep, and there's St. Teresa. So you can see it looks like gold yeah. bars, but it's just the light coming in from how they had it in the chapel and then the stained glass they have around it. So it looks like this piece is just being bathed in this gold. The drips. These gold drips. And there's a golden arrow in the hand of the angel. And they're supposed to be like stabbing the person in the heart to let God's light in. And so then the gold coming down is like God's light from the angel. It's pretty violent. Yeah. You can see how they tried to make it a little more realistic. It looks like the folded cloth. So just trying new techniques in the sculpture instead of the basic things they had been doing before. The importance of the Baroque style extended beyond Italy. In Flanders, Peter Paul Rubens established a huge workshop and produced works of great energy and color that became models for many artists. In the mid-17th century, Rembrandt van Rijn, a Dutch artist, created some of the best-known works from the Baroque period. Rembrandt is recognized not only as a painter and a printmaker, but also as one of the greatest draftsmen ever. Perhaps his best known work is the Night Watch, or more properly known as the Sortie of Captain Banning Coke's Company of the Civic Guard. Yeah, that's too much. Like Good many night. other group portraits of the time, 
Each member of the company depicted paid a certain sum to be a patent included in the painting. Rembrandt chose to break with tradition and group the members of the company in a way that gave more attention to some members than the other. This break with tradition is, as well as other problems in his life, ultimately caused the decline of his career. Although Rembrandt died in poverty, the self-portraits in his later years are considered to be some of the greatest studies of the inner life of the sitter ever to be painted. So there's the night watch. That's what was in our book that was all dark. They recently refurbished it. It was very dark before, but then the museum that it's in has been cleaning it. And so they found a hidden figure that had been covered up by the dirt and grime over the years. So they found more people in the painting. They didn't know were there after they cleaned it. But you can see where before you could pay to be in the painting, now he's kind of giving, like, I like you, so I'm going to make you in the front. And I don't like you, I'm going to stick you in the corner. And that made people mad. They didn't like that. What region did Peter Paul Rubens work? Flanders. Flanders, so Italy. Flanders, Italy. And his best work, and you can use the short name of it. The Night Watch. Night Watch. And what of his works are considered great studies of the inner life of a subject? This self-portraits. Yeah. His later years. His later years self-portraits. It might be argued that the Baroque period reached a peak in France. There, Louis XIV had come to power, and his long reign was marked by a blossoming of French culture. Louis XIV united all of France and built a lavish palace at Versailles, beginning in 1669. The palace and its grounds covered about 2,000 acres and included various grand chateaux and gardens. There was a stable capable of housing 100 horses and a grand orangery, or greenhouse, for the king's orange trees. Eventually there was a zoo and a system of fountains and waterfalls that included a grand canal large enough for the staging of mock sea battles. The opulence and power of this sun king, around whom the world and the court revolved, became a model of that contemporaneous monarchs tried to emulate. So there's just one example of Versailles. But it's a huge building. And it has huge gardens and this huge fountain. And it's orangery. And there's an orangery. I didn't find a picture of the orangery. What's its name? The, what? The name of the palace. Versailles. It looks like Versailles, but oh. it's Versailles. Okay. I wonder if he came up with the name orangery. Probably because it has the orange trees, orange trees in it, so then they called it the orangery, where they keep the orange trees. That's my guess. I don't know if that's real or not, but that makes sense to me. So his palace is called Versailles. An important feature of Louis XIV's court that was to influence art well into the 19th century was the system of choosing and supporting artists called the Salon. This annual exhibition established a set of rules for judging art that is still influential in the art world today. It is also under the rule of Louis XIV 
that the Académie Royale des Peintures et des Sculptures, often referred to simply as the Academy, was established and it soon became a means for imposing aesthetic standards and principles of taste. So what annual art exhibition did he start? The Salon or the was salon? It the Academy? The Salon. That's the exhibition. Um, what was the... We never went over when and where did the period of art reach its peak. I mean, like, we've read over it, but was it oh, like... we said in France. But they never said a year specifically. So would we say, like, kind of 1660s? Because it does say something about that's when it was... Yeah. Yeah, so the exhibition is a salon. And then what's the academy called? Academy. The academy. Keep the big long name in the back of your mind because you might see that. Who knows? But the academy should be fine. To the south, the Spanish court of King Philip IV of Spain tried to emulate the court of France, and his court painter, Diego Velázquez, was a contemporary of Bernini. Velázquez's method of building his figures from patches of color, rather than starting from a drawing, became a model for many later artists. In fact, Velázquez's work has an influence on the movement we call Impressionism. What technique is Velasquez known for? The patches of color. Oh, yeah. Work. So the layering of color. In the past, they would take charcoal and kind of sketch out the lines and the shapes and then paint. So he's just starting straight with the paint and the color and just building color on color on color instead of starting with the drawing an outline. Seems messy. Rococo. While the Rococo style might be seen as an extension of the Baroque period, it is quite different in form and content. Whereas the Baroque aimed to arouse grand emotions, Rococo works where celebrations of gaiety, romance, and the frivolity of the grand life at court, particularly the court at Versailles. The emphasis was on light-hearted decoration with the use of gold and pastel colors. So what are characteristics of Rococo? So we'd seen kind of dark, we'd seen the dark with the little light, and now we're kind of getting into more bright, cheerful kind of things. Golds and pastel colors. Three artists who excelled at capturing the elegance and wit so valued by their aristocratic patrons are considered the greatest masters of the Rococo style. Jean and Paul Batu was the leader of a new generation and the innovator of a new genre of painting called the Fit Collat. Paintings in this genre generally depict members of the nobility in an elegant and contemporary dress enjoying leisure time in the countryside. Francois Boucher was influenced by Batu's delicate style he became the favorite painter of Madame Pompadour, mistress to Louis XV, and his work often transformed the characters of the classical myth into scenes of courtly gallantry, with an emphasis on noble nudes. Jean Oné Bagana was promoted by Madame Pompadour. 
Fagenach, studied with Boucher, and his works strongly reflect Boucher's influence. So who are three artists of the Rococo? Watin. Vatu. Fragonard. Yep. And Pompadour. Or Boucher. Boucher. Yeah. Pompadour is the one who paid them. So Vatu, Boucher, and Fragonard. What new style of painting did Vatu create? The fig galante. The fig galante. Yeah. So, the elegant people being leisurely. The revolution of 1789 in France ushered in an era of great change throughout Europe. And the idea of a democratic republic ruled by and for the people was reflected in the artwork of the time. In an attempt to hearken back to the democratic ideals of the ancient world, art of this period demonstrated a revival of the interest in the art of classical Greece and Rome. This style, called neoclassicism, emerged in the decades leading to the revolution and was also influenced by Enlightenment philosophy. The neoclassical style, a direct challenge to the Rococo and its associations with aristocracy, is epitomized in the work of Jacques-Louis David, whose paintings such as The Oath of Horatiti illustrated the Republican virtues. Following the revolution, David joined members of the new government as the Master of Ceremonies and the Grand Revolutionary Mass Rallies. Later, he became a dedicated painter to Napoleon Bonaparte, and his capacity he painted large propagandistic canvases that would seem to undermine his earlier revolutionary ideals. A closer investigation of his work and his career reveals the complicated work of an artist and his patrons. The work of David's pupil, Jean-Dominique Anga, shows the sharp outlines and unemotional figures, careful geometric composition, and rational order that are hallmarks of the neoclassical style. Do. So the neoclassical style is epitomized by which artist? And what work of his illustrates the Republican virtues? List of the Horti? Horti, yep, both of the Horti. Can I get a copy of that? No, I didn't get that picture. It's on that page. There's a page over here. Yeah. Ah, okay. And what characteristics of neoclassical art are evident by Anga? Sharp outlines, unemotional figures, careful geometric composition, and rational order. Anga's rival, Eugene Delacroix, was a proponent of Romanticism. This style harkened back to the emotional emphasis of the Baroque and had similar characteristics, though the subject matter was different. Where neoclassical works emphasized line, order, and a cool detachment, 
romantic painting tend to be highly imaginative and was characterized by an emotional and dreamlike quality. The romantics favored feeling over reason. Romantic works are also characterized by their incorporation of exotic or melodramatic elements and often took awe-inspiring natural wonders as their subject matter. Delacroix's works are characteristic of the Romantic movement in that they centered on the exotic themes and included foreign settings, violence involving animals, and historical subject matter. Theodore Jericho and William Blake are also important Romantic artists. So what style is Eugene Delacroix associated with? Romanticism. Yes. And what are features of the Romantic era? Uh, highly imaginative and was characterized by an emotional and dreamlike quality. Yep. So you'll see more natural wonders. Kind of awe-inspiring, big landscape kind of things. Besides Delacroix, who are the other two artists they mentioned for Romanticism? Yeah. And that is it for that chunk. So you've got some time, so if you want to work on your 10 questions, they should be there in your Google Classroom. Or if you need to finish the one for today, you can work on that first. You've got like six minutes or so to get a jump start on that.